So today we have Hindi Collinson from Relationshift, and I'm really excited about this to topic. So Hindi, first tell us a little bit about the work you do, and then we'll jump right into the topic. Beautiful. So um, I represent Relationshift. I'm a coach for Relationshift, um, and I work on the back end of how the organization functions. Um, what do we do? We aid women in and in their relationships and finding empowerment within themselves and in their relationships. Um, we try to bring more connection uh, between women and all the relationships that come up in their life. That's what we do. Great. So you do that as coaching and you have, uh, what's the website? Let's just get that. Relationship, createrelationship.com. That's where you would find us, createrelationship.com. Um, all the coaches are listed there. You could reach out. Someone's always going to get back to you within 24 hours. Wonderful. And there's someone, so much good work that Relationship is doing. So I'm really excited that we'll talk to this topic through the lens of the Relationship model. So let's get started. Pesach. For so many people, there's so many different thoughts about it. For there's joy, there's stress, there's family, there's combinations. So let's talk to that a little bit. As we're thinking about Pesach, where do we start? Right. So first and foremost, um, I know it's a lot when you're feeling stressed. And I feel like in general, between Purim and Pesach, it's just such a stressful time. Um, and it almost feels like asking someone who's drowning to um, take something else on. But it doesn't have to be so difficult to just stop for a moment and kind of weigh in with oneself and see what is, what's triggering me. Because for some people, Pesach, just the word itself could just send them physically in their body um, to a, a dark place. So I think it's a very important thing to also kind of separate what the reality is and what they might be experiencing inside themselves. So if at all possible, I know this is a stretch to ask a woman who's cleaning up from Purim still and trying to clean and get ready for plans for Pesach, but in the back of her mind um, to just try to see like, what is it about Pesach that's really scary um, or triggering or um, makes your body feel like it's shutting down and, and look at it, kind of define terms. Um, what is it about Pesach exactly that's, that's so overwhelming? Based on past, or even maybe this Pesach is different. So that's why it's a whole different new overwhelming and maybe the, the newness of it, of this new kind of Pesach could be part of it. A hundred percent. And we're always different. So every Pesach, we're approaching Pesach as a different person. So it's definitely going to be different. So it's important to check in. Really like coming back to yourself is a very important piece, I think, to approach Pesach with. So now that you have this realization of what your triggers or your stressors, or sometimes they're also happy things combined with the work that has to get done. It's not always negative. Let's just put that out there. And you can have an, it's not an either or, it's more like an and. It could be stressed and excited. You can do both. Yeah. So once you've identified it, now what? Beautiful. So I love what you're saying because oftentimes women will look at Pesach and they're they're mainly looking at what's stressing them out as opposed to what is exciting about it. And even if they are excited about, let's say, family coming or um, going away, whatever it is that is exciting about Pesach, or for some reason, maybe Pesach's their favorite time of year, 
sometimes the negative or the overwhelm or the trigger um, kind of overtakes what is positively um, affecting them. So I think it's also important to look at both, like what is, what is that trigger? Um, and also to even the things that are exciting to really um, dwell on those things as well. And what I want to kind of like shift us to is, which is actually the whole theme of Pesach, but here we're talking about preparing for Pesach, but it really could be um, applied to any sort of stressful situation or something upcoming that is stressful, is that shift from victimhood to what Pesach is all about, that state of liberation. And I found personally within my own life, um, a lot of when I was in a not great place and pretty dark place, a lot of what my um, thinking was, was that I have no choice, right? So something's happening, Pesach's coming, um, I'm having guests, um, there's a certain amount of people I have to uh, prepare for. These are Pesach's restrictions. These are my family's restrictions. It was all a lot of like restriction on me and me feeling like my hands are tied and I have no choice, leaving me feeling helpless. And in a way, it made me step into that mindset of, of victimhood. And I think something really important uh, for women to feel is a sense of empowerment. And that shift, and we could talk about that shift and all the different details that um, come with that shift, is really thinking about what do I want instead of what's happening to me or me just needing to function and survive this. It's what do I actually want? So to give you a quick example from Purim, um, something that I consciously did this Purim was Purim could also be that trigger for a lot of people where it's like, um, it's, it's, a, it's a hard yumtif in ways. It could be very challenging for lots of women. I mean, the drinking aspect, the house is just open and flying aspect, children eating tons of candy, parties, just a lot of things that are not really in control. Um, so for me, looking at Purim, I'm thinking, what do I actively want from Purim? What do I want to experience? Allowed me to shift from the victimhood of, I have to just do whatever my kids want to do whatever my husband wants or do whatever needs to get done. Like I need to deliver to all these people and instead shift to who do I really want to deliver to? What do I want Purim to look like? So it sounds funny, but I really want to deliver to um, our pediatrician. Like I really wanted to give him Shalach Manas and show him how much we appreciate and thank him. I wanted to give Shalach Manas to a bunch of not from, from people who live in our area that I know that I don't need to. It's not incumbent on me. It was my choice. Um, I wanted my children to feel like that joy of Purim that I felt as a child. Um, and like feel how fun it is, how it's a totally different day. So instead of being triggered by how out of control everything is, I was choosing to what I wanted, which in the end didn't necessarily look very different from any other Purim, but the greatest difference was my choice of what I wanted and, and creating what I wanted um, and seeing how other people also wanted to create what I wanted. Um, so I don't know if that makes it clear, but there's that real shift of looking at what's coming at you and then trying to figure out a way to be more conscious about what I really want. I, I, I sometimes frame it as like things that I could do. I don't have to do. Like I don't, unless I'm in the Pesach, I don't have to uh, have a China. I could have China 
And when you word it as I could have China on the table, means like I, I could also not. And it makes it so it reframes it in that I don't have to do all those things. I mean, Pesach is wonderful with paper goods, nice paper goods, and Pesach is also wonderful with simpler paper goods. You could do any of those things. You don't have to. And I think that kind of makes it more liberating and more empowering because you have choices. I love that. So it, what it sounds like what you're talking about is kind of questioning beliefs that we have about what Pesach has to look like, um, which is an even a whole nother topic of like, what are the truths and beliefs that we are functioning from that Pesach has to look like or Purim has or whatever it is in our life that it has to look like this and kind of poking little holes in it and seeing if it really is true and if it's if it's serving us ultimately is that belief serving us so about like let's say the disposables like is it serving me to force myself to use dishes maybe it is maybe it's not right and then come back to what kind of setting do you want and some of those things can be as a couple of dishes maybe more or less one person's domain whoever's going to be buying washing the, the dishes but some things are really more universe uh, more family-wide and so it's important to have those conversations about the why do we want this why or even when there's different minhagans we're going to talk about how that conversation could look minhagan you know things that we want to do at our let's keep it narrow to our seder which is pretty wide, but beautiful. So, are, so you're asking about that conversation between a woman and her husband, right? Okay, beautiful. Or even it could be a woman and her kid, but let's just narrow it. Let's keep narrow to a woman and her husband about proactively actually thinking about what their seder is going to be like. Because for some people, they just kind of rolls right, rolls you know the day and it just it just happened. And sometimes, let's say the husband doesn't even know which guests are coming and how to prepare for the different. So let's talk about planning for the Seder. Okay, beautiful. Okay, so there's oh, there's like so many dynamics here to, to, to look at. Um, so planning for the Seder. Um, I wanted to like take a step back because before before anything else, um, relationships really talks about the Mashbiya Makabal dynamic, which is a very important piece because it really is the basis of everything that we do. So if you're coming from that space of your husband being the mashbia, and I don't know what the audience here is, but um, mashbia is the giver because it comes from the word shefa, sustenance. So the mashbia is the person who gives. And mikabo comes from the word kibel, receive. So the mikabo is the person who is the receiver. And the way Yiddishkeit believes um, this ebb and flow works and the way that God created the world is that the masculine energy is mashpia and the feminine energy is makabal. It doesn't mean that women are limited to only being makabal energy and it doesn't mean that men are only limited to being feminine energy. It just means that generally speaking, men are usually more masculine and women are more feminine, but we have both within us. Now, I know it sounds off topic of what the question was, but putting that dynamic into play in every interaction with one's husband really answers the question a lot of how a Seder would look like. So it's, I know it's hard to go into this because it's a very different way than 
maybe most um, conventional wisdom looks at the relationship between a man and a woman. But the way relationships would look at, at the dynamic between a husband and a wife is that he is the mashpia and she is the makabo. It doesn't mean that she doesn't have a voice. It doesn't mean that she's not empowered. Um, but it does mean that she looks at her husband to contribute to her. And she looks to where she can receive from him. That just has to be like the preface. So when we're looking at a Seder, ultimately, according to Jewish law, the man leads the Seder. Um, so depending on what specific aspect you're looking at in the Seder, um, there's a lot of, let's say, back ends things that the woman will be preparing to create the Seder. It doesn't mean that she doesn't have a vision for what she wants the Seder to look like. It doesn't mean that um, she doesn't have a voice, but it is definitely a, a part of their relationship where he's supposed to be the leader of this night. Um, so with that in mind, him being the leader, the one who's supposed to be leading this Seder, he should definitely know who the guests are. Um, there should be that involvement of like him knowing. It would be respectful to let him know um, who's coming. He should maybe even be involved in the invitation of those guests. But I can't go into all the dynamics of what's happening. Um, but more than anything, let's say, what would feminine um, proactive measures towards the Seder look like? So a huge part of being feminine is receiving. Now, how could I be proactive if I'm just an empty vessel, right? So we have to kind of like backtrack, what does it look like to actively receive? So let's say for me, last Pesach, um, I, was, I, was, I was grappling with this exact question. And what I came up with was me having a, a pure vision of what I would love from the Seder, from Pesach in general. And for me, it was, I wanted these themes of matzah of healing, matzah of faith, that's a, that's a theme of Pesach, and it was something that resonated with me, and I wanted my guests to experience that as well. Now, knowing that I could only control myself and I could only take care of myself, I can't start making sure that everybody feels this feeling, and I can't tell my husband, this is what I want you to inspire everybody to do, because I've been down that road, and it doesn't, it doesn't feel feminine to tell everybody what to do. But I was willing to share that inspiring vision with everybody that was coming to my Seder without expectation, without dictating what should happen. Um, and then what was so beautiful was seeing it play out because I shared with them that vision. So when I shared that with my husband, I didn't tell him how he's supposed to do that, but he heard me, he loved it, and he went with it. So it's, it's a very different energy than the masculine energy of like um, being very assertive and authoritative, but it doesn't mean that it's not powerful and it's not creative. Does that answer your question? Part, partly, God gave me a whole new set of questions. Okay. But so each of us come from our own family backgrounds and we, our satyrs may have been similar or different or similar enough, but with just nuancedly different. And we each have a vision of what we would like for our Seder to be. And similarly, someone, either of you, could have heard about something that happened well in, another, in someone else's Seder that they would like to try. So that's what I'm talking about, creating the visions. Like for example, in some families, 
each child makes their own um, Kaddish and some families, they all do it together. And for whatever reason, one of you wants to bring in the, another idea. So how would that conversation look like? And do we want to do it for the reason of Chinuch or we want to do it because the get, it's important for the guests to see, or maybe we want to do it all together because we want to move the Seder along before the kids. So what would that conversation look like? Okay, good. So I think what's an important thing to, to lay down as the foundation here of when you're bringing something that's different or unusual to kind of like shake things up. So my gut reaction is as a, as a macabre to let's say, ask my husband and say like, I heard about this beautiful custom. I would love to have all the children say Kiddush, right? Now, before I even say that, I think what's very important is to muster up the energy of connection between me and my husband so that I know that there's a core respect between both of us and that my husband really wants me to be happy and he wants to make me happy. And if I come to him with some sort of request or an idea, he wants that to happen because as his wife, he wants to make me happy. So really approaching it from a very different energy than approaching it from like, um, this is what I want to do. This is what you want to do. And we're just going to butt heads over this because I know that you don't like that. I know that you like making Kiddush on your own and that everyone after should just say it quietly to really come with that energy of, I know that he wants to make me happy. And it's a very, it's a very, it really is very creative because it creates a totally different dynamic in your approach. I think that's a very important thing to like lay down. So if I were to ask my husband, like, can we do this? I would love to do this. Um, and I come from that energy of trusting him, then most probably I would see if he can, within his ability, he wants to make me happy. So then he'll do that. Now, let's say it's something that it's really um, against his desires or he can't make it happen for me. I could also respect that. He heard me, he wants to make me happy. And in this one regard, it's not gonna work out. I can respect that he's making that decision coming from whatever place he's, he's coming from. Um, I don't know if this sounds too theoretical, but it's, I think it's a very important piece to have that receptivity, that trust in place, and also to have that respect in place when it comes to every single dynamic that, because um, these questions are gonna come up throughout the entire Pesach. So- In life. Have both, yeah, in life. So to have both of those in place is really important. And what that looks like is definitely much more detailed than what we're talking about here, but I think that's an important piece. Well, I think based on our conversation that we have, it's not my way or your way. It's an idea that I have would be really nice. And he has a whole, and you have a reason why you wanted to go that way based on something you heard or something you envision or something, a family memory or whatever. And he has a reason for his, what he's coming up with. It's not my way or his way. It's two different ways. And it doesn't have to end up being either one of the ways. It could be a whole different way when we talk about the, our thoughts behind it or our reasons behind it. So I, I really try to move away from my way or you have to do it my way or I don't want to do it your way. It's like even moving away a little bit from that, the idea that you presented or the idea that I presented kind of moves it away from my way, your way. And how can we meld it into something else? Beautiful. So there might be a third way. 
or an hour away. Right. <laughs> so let's go back from the other way of he presents an idea that that that's a little bit hard to do for just he would like a certain food that's difficult to make or so how to receive what he's asking for and knowing that you could you could do it that way or sometimes like you said he wants to make you happy you want to make him happy but in this case two days before Pesach he decides that this year we're only using schmaltz that's a bit much to take on so quickly for some Mm -hmm. So how would you have a conversation around that? Beautiful. So um, this is this is definitely a powerful skill. Um, and um, this is a stretch for someone to like take on right away. But um, it really would boil down to if you want to be a Makabal, to really firstly see the core value that he's bringing. So for example, if he's asking you, like you said, he wants you to cook with schmaltz. So First and foremost, um, to let go of any um, defensive energy that you're feeling about this, right? So let's say it would be very natural for a woman to be like, I'm not telling you how to be the rabbi in Shul or how to daven, don't tell me how to cook for Pesach, right? That very defensive energy, that first and foremost should be, should be laid aside, um, even if it's very natural to feel that way. Um, in order to, to proceed with this conversation, because if you're coming from that defensive space, then, then the rest of the conversation is probably, I can, again, I can't say, but it doesn't sound like it will go to the place where you want it to go, um, a place of respect and peace um, when you're feeling attacked and you're feeling like you have to defend yourself. So that first and foremost would be like taking ownership over your feelings um, and also mustering up the and seeing that he's not trying to hurt you, right? He's not trying to hurt you or give you more jobs or make you work harder. Um, there's something here that he's trying to contribute somehow to you with schmaltz for Pesach. So what is it? What is that something? So again, as the Makabal getting, getting away that defensive feeling and seeing that your mashpia is trying to give you something. So what is he trying to give? What is a core value about using schmaltz? Um, and that's for women, that's our job to try to see how he's trying to contribute to me. So um, what's behind schmaltz? The, the core value behind that is it's more mahudr, right? So he's a person who deeply believes, and I'm making this up because this is a, a theoretical question, okay? But like, let's say this theoretical man um, has this core value of the way past generations have done things, I deeply respect and want to create for myself. Um, I deeply want our children to have this perpetuated tradition of schmaltz. If we don't do it, then, then they'll ne never have known that there was such a tradition, um, that it's maybe more mahudr. So even like his um, authenticity when it comes to halacha, that he, he deeply cares about halacha, deeply respects that. These are things to objectively appreciate as a core value inside our husband. I'm not saying that you have to go ahead and do it yet. I'm just saying that there's core value there to appreciate. Um, maybe he's doing it because his uh, your your mother is coming and that's the only thing that she wants to eat or his mother is coming and or father is coming and that's a, a hidu that they do. So he wants you to do that to make them feel comfortable. There's the core value of being sensitive to other people's needs and, and um, 
not making other people feel uncomfortable and stretching yourself to be able to receive others or host others, right? There could be so many different values there to reflect back to him, okay? So that would be receptively responding in this conversation. So he says, I really want you to do schmaltz. Inside yourself, you're saying, he's not trying to hurt me. He's not trying to give me more jobs. He sees that I'm overwhelmed. Um, what can I what can I see about what he's doing that is not hurting me? So that would be seeing the core values and telling them to him, like reflecting those core values. I think it's incredible that you are more Mahadur um, and that you want to respect your mother-in-law's um, your mother's uh, uh, standards, right? So you received him. There's respect there. He doesn't know. He doesn't feel like he's being mistrusted or defended against. There's 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 connection still there. And then you could weigh in with yourself. Well, what do I want? And like, where do I stand in all this? Right. And that's the second piece, which is a really difficult piece to look at because you have to let go of the fear and the anger and the defensiveness. And you could think about, well, what do I want? Um, what 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 would look taking schmaltz and using schmaltz on Pesach look like to me? Is that overwhelming? Is that hard for me? Is it that I can't stand that standard? Is it the smell? Right. So what is it that I want? And this is the piece where you really honor your voice. So like for some woman, it would be like, I can't stand the smell. My shapes will be ruined. Um, you know, whatever it is that's coming up for you. Um, it's too hard. I've never done it before. It's an unknown, right? So how to honor that voice in this conversation with your husband. So not to say something that is a fear because then that won't necessarily pan out. We could talk about why later. Um, but instead to honor your voice, what do I want, right? So like, let's say, I don't wanna go through all the effort of um, saving schmaltz from Purim, right? I don't know. Um, or I'm, I'm overwhelmed. Or I want my shaitals to smell good. I want the house to smell good, right? And then from that response, he could hear where you're truly at. And then he can respond, kind of like what you were saying with Sarah the third way, where he can, he can say like, oh, I wasn't saying that you should take care of all the schmaltz. Like, I'll gather that for you and just add it in while you're cooking. Or I didn't mean that you should only use schmaltz, but for the dishes that you're making for my mother, use schmaltz, right? And then, and then there's a give and take and there's more information and then there's a different path. But if there's that um, foundation of trust and respect um, and honoring your own voice and what you truly want, not a fear, but your voice of what you want, um, from there comes connection and then more defining of what's happening here. So what I'm hearing is like, don't shut it down. Like, like I, don't, I don't know, like you're giving me something else to do, but coming from a place of curiosity first of, and sometimes it takes some some real thinking of like what he, what could be behind it. Now, it would be nice if he actually shared his process behind it because if we never did this before and he was just coming up with a statement without going through why he came up with this, that would be helpful. So in this model of relationship, couldn't we be asking, tell me the backstory? Like, where is this idea coming from? We've For 10 years, we haven't done this. And this year, you're coming up with it. What is it? 
Yeah, beautiful. I mean, for, first and foremost, I love what you said in the beginning. Um, it's very hard in the moment to not be defensive and start coming up with core values when you're literally drowning, getting ready for Pesach. So I want, I want to just be human here. That's very human. Um, and it's totally okay to say, wow, this is a big idea. I need time to process, right? And step into the other room or give yourself a day to think about it. Like, that's fine. That doesn't mean you rejected him. It just means that you need a little bit of time to hear this. And I love what you're saying in the second part of the question, which is um, saying something like, wow, this is huge. Um, tell me more. Like, I would love to hear more where you're coming from. It's not a rejection. It's still receiving him. It's just wanting to receive more. And that's fine. So I think it's great that we're having the conversation. So, I mean, it's not right before Pesach. So we have time to actually have time to have these conversations because you need to process. You need to come up with, you need time to come up with creative solutions uh, or shopping solutions, or there's different ways to do it instead of buying everything at the last minute. Or like in this case, you could buy schmaltz, not, not compile your own schmaltz. And you could compile some recipes and, you know, and figure out or watch a couple of YouTubes about how to work with schmaltz. So that if, if your thing is, I don't know how to do it, then so the, the whole idea of coming up with it, having these conversations as early as possible. So if you did choose to want to have your Seder table have, let's say, some songs or some little anecdotes and that's something last year we were at this family and it was such a wonderful how he had little anecdotes. It really enhanced the Pesach for the for the guests. I would love to have that, but you can't say that the day before Pesach. Like that's just not enough time to pull that off. So these prep conversations are really take a, take an edge off of the new the new ideas that you'd like to bring in. Right. Yeah. So as far as that, I think that these conversations are really important, but another aspect of important conversations, I think, are who the uh, roles and responsibilities of this of Pesach. So could we play through some of that of working with traditional roles and I've been shifting some of the traditional roles because it's overwhelming, a new job, a new baby, just how do we talk to that conversation? Yeah, so as much as I think it's as it is important to kind of like be uh, forearmed, um, and at the same time, sometimes <laughs> I don't know if anyone else can experience this or relate to this experience, but um, sometimes conversations can become really heavy. And so I don't want to walk away from this conversation saying that you have to have lots of conversations to prepare for Pesach, because that could bring a heaviness to the relationship. And um, again, it's not coming from that space of trusting him to show up for you, which I think is a real element um, that I would love to talk about here, because just like this example, what you're bringing um, traditional role playing when it comes to Pesach and really anything, um, if you were to put the Mashbiya Makabal dynamic into play, it's it's much more about constantly bringing yourself back to being the macabre. So even let's say with this Schmaltz example, right? So even back to that example, um, she doesn't have to hear what her husband is saying and then go immediately into fix it mode and try to figure out how to make sure that her husband's will is being respected. Because ultimately that's not being necessarily macabre what he said because or or him 
because she's just going into like that do it mode and that um, giving mode of getting everything done. Real Mikaba would be listening out for what he's suggesting to make her happy, receiving what he wants with the schmaltz. You know, let's say she wants to go ahead with the schmaltz idea. She's willing to try it. Then what does he suggest how she can go ahead and do that? And hearing out for what his input is on it. Like, I don't want, I don't want to walk anyone walking away thinking like, now I have more jobs. The, the, the premise really is, is that our husband's belief is that our husbands really want us to be happy and they don't want us to be worked to the bone. Um, and that's something that I'd love to bring in here. Like, where can we step aside to allow our husbands to be mashbia when it comes to even the traditional role playing? So, for example, um, and, and everyone has their own individual dynamics between them and their husband and what it looks like to prepare for Pesach. Some women, they turn over the kitchen. Some families, the men turn over the kitchen. Um, where is it that you're holding on to? I know for myself, like where am I holding on to my role as my responsibility and not even allowing my husband to contribute? So let's say some women don't let their husbands into the kitchen, like to even cook. Um, or let's say, um, don't let them do the shopping or the husband offers. And he's like, Hey, I'm going to the kosher store. Give me a list. I'm happy to get things for you. And she's just too overwhelmed, which is totally understandable to start writing down a list. And it's just like easier for her to do it herself, which also is, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but just know that the mashpia in ways offered to contribute, to help, um, and then wasn't received. Not saying that that's wrong. I'm just saying that it's an important dynamic to keep in mind. Where is your husband trying to help or be there or support? And where is it that he doesn't have space to? Right. And sometimes even worse is that he did offer, but he didn't do it. But then the bottom line is that you don't remember that he did the offer because he didn't do it. And so you still had the work instead of actually receiving. And an important part of receiving is that you actually have something now to be thankful for you actually have something grounded. And I think that's such an important piece of a relationship. And especially when there's so much going on is that when the expression of appreciation, but if you don't receive, then there's not much to that he gave that you can actually give the appreciation to. And like women will say like, with anything, not just with Pesach, but like, my husband does absolutely nothing. Like there's nothing that he does that he contributes to me. And I hear this all the time. Um, and it's really important to, uh, I'm like looking at myself now in this box on Zoom and <laughs> kind of like get out of your own box in a way and see the world where there has to be something that he's somehow contributing to you. There's some way somewhere out there that he is giving to you and see that and be grateful for that and maybe grow that. But I love that you're bringing in that piece because gratitude is a huge part of receiving, really truly receiving because there's something very vulnerable and humbling about receiving from someone. And I know for myself and maybe for other women, um, we don't like going down that route of being humble and receiving from someone. I was just traveling recently and I was sitting at the window and my husband was sitting next to me and another person was in the aisle and my husband got up to do something and I needed something from uh, luggage on top. And 
So when my husband came back, I asked him to pass me the luggage and I had to get it out of there. But I didn't want to make this man who was in the aisle stand while I was rummaging for what I needed. So I was like, it's fine. I'll just put it at my feet. And it was like this huge duffel bag. And the man was like, don't worry, take your time. He was being so generous. And I just felt how hard it was. It was such a struggle for me to receive that he was waiting patiently, giving up his time and his attention and everything else. Him and my husband were waiting for me to get out what I needed and then for me to finish finding it, closing it, passing it back to them. And it wasn't a big deal. It was probably 45 seconds in all, but it was such a struggle for me to receive that gift because there was no way I was going to repay that to them. It was just literally a gift of their time and their generosity. And sometimes it's hard to receive. And they wanted to give it to you. And I mean, if you think about it, just that example, watching someone struggle in that between the seats and I could, they, they would just take my space for 45 seconds. She would be able to get it. Instead, she's gonna be banging her head on the seat before in front of her to know to get it. So you're giving them a gift by receiving their gift. And that's what makes it so beautiful is that it goes back and forth if we're just in that kind of dynamic of receiving what's offered. Yeah, I was actually embarrassed at how hard it was for me. Like I was thinking, he's looking at me and he's seeing it's such a struggle for her to just receive this gift of the 45 seconds. Why is it so hard for me? It was so ungracious to not be receiving it. I could just say, thank you so much and then calmly take whatever I need out of there. But it was so struggle. It was such a struggle, which meant the whole time I was trying to reject it instead of really receive it. I love how you took that example from this other gentleman, not your husband, because it's like it's just kind of removed, a step removed, which kind of helps us see that. We, and it was such a simple example of like 45 seconds that the guy will stand. OK, there are some people who won't, but he was offering it So just take him literally and take the offer. And many times our husbands do that. They offer things and they really want us to take it. They really do. It's not like they're just offering so that they can manipulate it. you. I did this for you. Well, um, generally healthy marriages or healthy enough marriages are not tit for tat like i did this and now you have to do that just there's no ulterior motive he just wants to give so just receive and of course i thank you afterwards yeah and that's why i give this example because and this just happened to me because i didn't feel as bad about my husband like i know that he loves me and i also know that i give a lot to him and i would also wait for him for 45 seconds so it's it's a lot easier for me to receive that from him the struggle came with this random stranger, which showed me how difficult it is for me to receive in general. That's something that I have to work on. Not that my husband has to give me more or that um, it, it allowed me to see that even in my dynamic with my husband, that sometimes I look at it exactly like what you're saying, like a tit for tat, which makes it easier to receive, but it doesn't mean that I've fully accepted upon myself the media of receiving. And then a lot also goes back to sometimes we just have to help them know what to give because if we're not if we're really not receiving often and they don't know what we want which i think pesach is a wonderful place to break out of our comfort zone and actually there's a pesach thing right there but um and and actually ask for what we would like to receive because if it's just standing there watching us be overwhelmed and doesn't know what it is that would be helpful, 
And if you're gonna, he's gonna list five things, would you like him to do this? And you say, no, no, no. Then he's really ran out of ideas. I said, just say it, say what you would like. Right. I mean, there's a way to say it. And if you want to, can you share a little bit about the way to say it? Sure. So it's really interesting because um, again, bringing that mashpia makabal dynamic into play, there's a way to say it. So if you're saying it in a way of like, let's say the husband's like, can I do this? Can I do that? Can I do that? And finally you're like, can you bring me a cup of water? <laughs> so it's definitely, um, um, it's it's not coming from a macabre space. It sounds directing, um, it sounds more like a mashpia. It sounds more bossy, right? And we don't wanna be coming from that space when it comes to our relationships. Um, so what does a macabre asking look like? Um, it looks like asking for help. It looks like asking for support, um, expressing what we would like. And I say not expressing our needs because needs has a very heavy energy with it. Um, it has a punishing energy with it sometimes where it's like, if you don't fill my need, then you're not a good mashpia and I can't trust you. Um, so it's, it's a very important thing that when you're expressing what you want, it doesn't come with that punishing aspect to it of like, if you don't do what I want, then I know that you don't love me, right? Or that you're not gonna show up for me, which sometimes could be linked in there just energetically because it's something really important to us. But if we attach too much energy to it, when we bring it to our husbands, they kind of wanna run the wrong other way because it, it, it sounds too intense. So I think what asking looks like from a macabre's perspective is to let's say, ask for help, ask for support. Um, if you wanna express something that you would love to do it without expectation, to do it with the expectation that your husband loves you and wants to give to you, but that it doesn't have to happen within this time frame and exactly in this way. Kind of like letting go of the intensity of what you need and instead make it something that you really want honor that you want. So is there, what, what, could we turn that into, into like language? Because I think it starts with the mindset that uh, it's something that I want or something that would make whatever is happening easier. Uh, but then what? So we have the right mindset and our language has to follow that. And I think sometimes Sometimes it starts from the mindset, but sometimes it starts from the language, which will then dictate our mindset. So how would we word it? Good. So again, like when it comes, to, I don't like to tell people exactly how to use words because as a coach, like every, every relationship has their own kind of way of talking and their own way of doing things. And I trust women to know what's best for them in their relationship. Um, what I would do in my relationship is I would say something like, I would love um, this and this. I just find that that verbiage works for me. Um, but for everyone to each their own, I feel like more important than the words that you use is the energy that you're expressing it with. If it's coming from a space of demand or com coming from a space of um not trusting you to know me, see me, then it has a different result. So I know that doesn't answer your question because you were saying like you want the verbiage, but 
I think it's important also to, to be in tune with yourself and know where is my energy coming from and kind of whatever words you do use should relay the energy that you're using. Okay, so the re- I was asking for just because some, for some people it kind of dictates their, their mindset or their energy, but it's okay. Like I think if we start with what is my version of I would love, and I think that could kind of put it instead of like, come on already, like I'm doing so much, can't you, whatever, which is the exact opposite. And there's something, there's a whole spectrum in between. But I also think that it's important to recognize that even if we get the right words, the words are so little it's the whole timing it's the all the nonverbals, like the timing and the way we use our voice the inflection and the tone and so much of the words is so much less than everything else like the energy that you like you mentioned right yeah I mean let's say I, I think a, a verbiage that people do use often is I need right and then dot 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 um that that wording oftentimes comes with the energy i'm not saying it has to but oftentimes comes with the energy of you don't know me therefore i have to express myself and let you know my needs so that you can go and do it and so many different aspects of the energy behind that um are are even painful to hear um as as a person on the receiving end so i know that if someone were to tell me that, like even a friend to be like, I need you to do this and this. Now, part of me, of course, I want to do whatever she needs because I love her and I want to show up for her how she needs. Like, I don't want to be, uh, I don't want to be the person who comes home late, but brings flowers. You know, that famous example, like I'm coming late, but I'm bringing the flowers. I want to be there for her how she wants it. But at the same time, a part of me feels um, used And a part of me feels like if you're telling me exactly how I need to show up for you, then I'm not really being there for you as myself. I'm being there what you want me to do, which could be fine. Like if I really truly love this person, then that's what I'm going to do. But at the same time, it doesn't create necessarily connection um, and respect. Just to add to that, hinting is not very, not always helpful because I don't know if they're getting it right or they, and then there's usually hinting comes from the, with an expectation that they'll get it, but you're not giving them enough to get it. And I think that goes back to that. Why aren't you vulnerable enough to actually say what you want? And what is that, what is what can we do in the relationship to get us to a place of being vulnerable? Because I mean, a couple, both of you are both vulnerable. You can both move through conversations and move through requests so much easier and you both share what you what what makes you happy yeah i love that you're saying that because it's very vulnerable to say what you want um to express a desire it feels scary it feels there's the fear of what if it's not heard it's not received it doesn't actually happen so it is very vulnerable and i find that with hinting i definitely went down that road for a long time um, there's two aspects of like hinting to something. There's there's a few aspects. Um, there's me not being too afraid to be vulnerable. Um, there's the deep pain that will happen if that hint is not is no one picks up on the hint. Um, and and then it just further let's say builds a narrative of he doesn't care, he doesn't hear me, he doesn't want to do what I want when 
he wasn't necessarily given the chance because the, a hint is not a vulnerability. It's not expressing a desire. It's just like throwing something out there that he might not even have heard because it didn't even necessarily mean anything because it's just a hint, right? And what's behind a hint? A hint is the fear of, I don't really think you're going to show up for me. So I'm just throwing this out there because I'm just desperately throwing out a rope uh, for someone to catch. And I don't even know that there's someone on the other end. That's not a very inspiring space for a husband to show up, right? He doesn't, it's, it, it, there's a lot of mistrust there and what that might make him feel is deeply disrespected. So for a woman to feel empowered by being vulnerable and expressing a pure desire is, it sounds funny, it sounds counterintuitive, but it really is a very powerful place to be, even though it is vulnerable. Right. It's vulnerable, not weak. There's a, I think that we, unfortunately in English, we kind of merge those two words, but it's two entirely different things. Right. And the other thing is that sometimes people hint or don't say because they don't know what they want. And then that's not fair because now you're making him or whoever else, your friend or whatever, come up with it, but you don't know what you want. So how likely are they going to get it right if you don't even know what you want? So that, I think that circles us all the way back to the beginning of what we were talking about is get in tune with yourself, get in tune with what's going on for you. And I think especially with Pesach and stress, know what your stressors might be and also know what your de-stressors might be. And you can tell your husband that I would just love for you to go to the ice cream store. I know it's a big deal, but it's, and I know I shouldn't have the calories, but I want that. Like, and that's what will help me get through this next three hours, just that ice cream. Or maybe knowing that you went to get me that ice cream. Or knowing that you took all the kids to go get that ice cream. You know, so it's, but saying it, he doesn't have to guess that you want ice cream. Because yesterday, what was good for you was tea. So now he's going to get you tea if you, unless you say that you want ice cream. But if he does bring tea, we receive that too because it's coming from a good place, even though it's not really what you want this time. Beautiful. But take the intention. Right. Um, and I, I think it's, I, th I think an important piece is um, when you're saying what you want, um, to again, let go of how it has to happen, how to get there, right? So let's say someone really does want ice cream. So to say like, I would love ice cream, now, without the expectation of like how it's going to happen or when it's going to happen or where it's going to happen, but like, I would love it or I would love for you to get me ice cream, whatever it is, however she's saying it, depending on the dynamic, um, but not telling him what to do because then that could definitely go down the road of that much be a masculine energy or it could even sound like the condescending energy. So that's an important piece to put in too. But if you're honoring your pure desire, then that's beautiful. And also recognize that just because we put out there what we want, what would help us in this stressful situation doesn't mean that his schedule can allow for it. Like there's a whole other dynamic. Just because I want it and just because he wants to do it doesn't mean that it can actually happen. And while we can be disappointed that we didn't get the ice cream when it would have been so perfect. The ice cream would have just really hit the mark, but recognize that there's a much bigger thing that's going on. It wasn't that he didn't want to get it necessarily. He just, he couldn't, it just didn't work out. I mean, if you 
have a desire for ice cream at 12 o'clock when he's in the middle of work. It's just not realistic. So just because he could, in your mind, you mind the way you're seeing his schedule, he could be getting it. And, and he's not able to, or his energy is really, it's just not possible. Like it's like two o'clock in the morning. And yes, the ice cream store may be open, but he is exhausted. So like, yes, I know. Like the ice, you tell him what, what you want, but it's not really necessarily realistic that he's going to get it. So just be kind to both of you. Right. Well, yeah, I think what you're hitting on is um, this point of struggle between whether or not it may express itself as being a little bit selfish. Um, and what you're bringing out is like that piece of really respecting the other person. Um, and respecting where they're coming from and everything else that they're contributing to you to create everything that you have in your life, right? So to hinge the whole connection right now on whether or not he's going to show up with the ice cream is, it's not really true to, to life and what, what your relationship is, what it represents. So this is really, I think it helps put a framework onto how to have these kinds of conversations. And it's so important, especially with this, with Pesach, where that has so many details, so many nuances, so many types of things that need to be addressed. Well, uh, not necessarily in conversation, like you said, but it doesn't have to be like, okay, let's have our planning meeting and a planning meeting in our, in our, our follow-up and those big spreadsheets. <laughs> Unless, of course, that is your style. And for you know, for some people that works and for other people, it really doesn't. And then it becomes interesting when for one of the couple, it doesn't, one of the couple, it doesn't. And that would have been an interesting conversation, but we'll kind of wrap up here without going into two different styles. But I would love to follow up on that. So any final thoughts about that as related to Pesach and what we spoke about? Yeah, I think I think more than anything else to, to kind of wrap up, um, is really holding on to that perspective that our husbands want to be mashbia. They really want to give. Um, and if they're giving in a way that feels too overwhelming or um, or you can't really see how they are giving, I think really searching for the core value in, in them, in every situation, really helps a woman put things into perspective. Because I know for myself, coming from um, the sphere of Bina, like understanding things. I like breaking things down, to, down into details. And sometimes I could get really stuck on the details. And it also helps me in seeing core value. So I could break things down and see that when he's running and taking care of his shul and uh, making sure that the whole community is okay. And he's also handling his job and everything else. Like, it's very easy for a woman to go down this route of feeling like I'm not my husband's um, first priority, or he's not doing anything to help with Pesach. And to really take a step back and see, where can I see that he is contributing to me? Where can I see that he is contributing to Pesach? Um, where can I express myself and honor my desire? Where can I take a step back and kind of look at those beliefs that are limiting me in my preparations for Pesach? might help put everything more into perspective and ease the burden of of the preparations and of course there's so much more to discuss but i think it's a very important thing to to keep that in mind i love how we ended up like really trying to get into his space and, and, and what i mean by that is understanding what what's, what's going on for him his core values his perspective his schedule like it's not 
always just like, what can I get out of this? Or how can I make my Pesach easier? It's really understanding the whole dynamic. There were two individuals with two separate ways of being in this world and wanting to contribute to each other, not like, what can I get out of it? Or what should he be giving to me? Or even what should I be giving to him, but from that negative space? I love how we wrapped it up with the understanding each other and respecting each other and respecting that we're different and we do things differently and respecting that the gender differences come in, in our roles in that way. So Henry, this has been really fantastic. I, I have so much that I can really start putting down and I'm so glad we did this three weeks before Pesach. Uh, how can people reach you? Um, through createrelationship.com, through the website, um, or my number, I could provide that, I guess, in the notes after. Um, you can always reach out. Um, we do workshops three times a week. We have workshops on Zoom, in person. Um, there's lots of support through the website. You could check that out. Um, more than anything else, I think supporting each other, and I think that's what um, your organization does as well, is just providing support is something that we as human beings need more than ever. We need to connect and be there for one another. And that's the platform through which we can grow. So if anyone needs support, reach out. Um, it doesn't mean a coach, it could mean a friend, but someone. That's an important piece. Thanks so, so much, Hindi. Have a wonderful Pesach, wonderful preparation for Pesach. Easy and joyous. All right. Thank you Thanks so much so. for giving me that opportunity to be here. Thank you. Thank you.